dispatch. Packets of fire all around. Dear Chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Warning and a disclaimer on this episode, we will be talking about a line of duty death of a law enforcement officer, just so you know. So if it makes you uncomfortable, you might want to skip this episode. On December 31st, 2017, Gracie Parrish Miller received the knock on her door from another deputy and the chaplain from Douglas County Sheriff's Department. The knock is the unspoken fear that hangs over every first responder family, and unfortunately, it did change Gracie's life. She found herself transitioning from a law enforcement officer's wife to a widow with two small children, trying to process having to bury her husband, Zach, at just 29 years old. Shortly after Zach's death, God made it clear to Gracie to pick up the torch her husband carried in serving the community. Gracie felt that too many of us in the first responder community only survive when we should be thriving together. She founded the Shelter Foundation in Denver, Colorado, for first responder couples to attend marriage counseling and retreats to strengthen their marriages. The Shelter Foundation also offers widow support as well as financial support and scholarships to attend. Gracie offers a unique perspective of being married to a law enforcement officer and being a widow and now also a fire wife. Gracie, thank you for coming on with us today and telling us your story. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so I have a very unique story that I don't think is extremely unique, unfortunately. Um, It happens all too often. But I became a law enforcement wife at the age of like 26. I was married to a man who planned on going corporate. He was going to work nine to five, and that is what I expected. And then about five years into marriage and 12 weeks pregnant, he decided that he was wanting to pursue his ultimate dream of becoming a police officer. And so he put himself through the academy and also worked 40 hours a week at a local bank while I was pregnant with our first child. And he just fell in love with the career. He absolutely loved it. But unfortunately, it would be about three years later that he would die in the line of duty. And what I thought would be not my reality uh, because we for the most part lived in like a bedford community where we hadn't had a line of duty death in over 20 years that now we were experiencing the shock of that my husband had not just been killed he had been ambushed and murdered 29 years old leaving behind a four-year-old little girl a 16-month little girl after only three years as a police officer and our community was rocked because this was mental health this was gun violence. It was premeditated and our community would no longer be the same because of it. And my life would no longer be the same. So I found myself on the news, not just local, but nationwide. It happened on New Year's Eve and we were a young family in a community that hadn't experienced something like this ever. And so it it made national news. President Trump tweeted me and it was just this absolute shell shock of what had happened. It wasn't just my life anymore. It was being lived out in front of the community and the killer's face and his name was right next to my husband's 
as they were publicizing his death. And so it, I, I went from a stay-at-home mom with two little girls living on a police officer's salary that made mac and cheese and did playdates and preschool drop-off. And suddenly I became like a household name for law enforcement in our community for all first responders. And my life became super public. I couldn't go anywhere in my community without being recognized and noticed. And it wasn't for something fantastic in my life, but it was because of the darkest day of my life. Everyone knew how many shots had killed my husband. Everyone knew the name that had killed my husband, the apartment complex where it had happened. And those are private moments that you don't want to share with the community or the nation of how your husband was murdered in the ambush. That's supposed to be private. But it wasn't. And unfortunately, that's a part of the job is that when you sign up for this job, you recognize that your husband, your spouse is putting it all out there for the community. And that for me, it was the ultimate sacrifice for him. But it also was this long term daily sacrifice of like my privacy. I was 29. My husband was killed, ambushed. And then I found myself with three stalkers within the first year um, that hated cops that wanted him dead. And so therefore they wanted me dead. I had a death threat against me. I needed to go undercover. Working with the FBI moved suddenly. And in all aspects of where like my husband had been killed and he was my protector and my provider. Now I'm a single mom, widow. Everyone knows where I live. Everyone knows my address. And now there's stalkers that are making a parent. They want to kill me. And in that moment, I swore I would never marry another first responder. I would never do it again. His job had impacted my life and our marriage in the three years that he was a police officer and we were a first responder family. I mean, we had no first responders on either side of our family. So we were learning how to do this without any background information. It's not like we had like a brother, an aunt, a best friend that had done the life and could kind of like guide us through this. We were trying to figure it all out on our own. And three years into it and he was killed and then I have stalkers. I thought, what the heck? I sacrificed all of those holidays and birthdays and dance recitals and everything for this. Like, what the heck? I was pissed. Thought I would never do it again. Really went off the grid in many ways. Didn't accept any public speaking events. I tried to take my name out of everything. I had an alias name. I moved. I, I did everything I could to protect myself. And it would then be three and a half years later that I would be introduced to my now husband. And he is a firefighter with South Metro. And he did not respond to Zach's call, but his friends that did, he was working the day that Zach died. He heard the tones come out. And so I'm now living this life where I'm an Elio widow and now I'm a fire wife. And so I can truly say that I have lived what it's like to be a police officer's wife and now a fire wife. And I can say I've experienced a line of duty death and everything that comes with that. And through my pain and my just kind of grief on everything. I just really felt called to create a nonprofit that would bless first responder couples. It's not to honor Zach. It's not to keep his name alive. It is truly, I see a need as to what could have really benefited Zach and I, which would have been marriage counseling and having someone saying, we're behind you, we're supporting you. And so that's what I seek to do. And I give financial scholarships to first responder couples to attend marriage counseling and marriage retreats, because I think that in a world where divorce is rampant for first responder couples and their salaries are low and they're laying it all out there, I want them to know that someone's got their back and someone's willing to say, like, I'll pay the bill for you to go and spend time with your spouse um, and to go get marriage counseling or just go get counseling on your own. I think that really would have helped Zach and I. And so I want to make sure other couples can get that, too.
let's back up a minute because that was a lot of information and i feel like mind blown from the stalkers and i never would have even thought of that and maybe that's just me being naive because i'm not or wasn't ever married to a police officer so i yeah we talk about this a lot in my house i think with my kids especially you know they see things and we talk about people's relationships and thoughts on police officers as a whole and our personal belief is obviously we are very supportive of law enforcement and i don't believe all cops are bad like people say but i think it's crazy that there are people out there that hate law enforcement so much that they would target the spouse and the children of that officer that's blowing my mind processing that so you got into a situation where your husband was murdered now Mm -hmm. people want to kill you yep and you're essentially hiding to Mm -hmm. protect your family so not only are you trying to grieve your husband Mm-hmm. But you're also in a situation where now you are in uber protective mode of your kids. Yeah. Talk about high stress. Single mom to two little babies who are grieving their dad and wondering why he's no longer home. Trying to learn how to pay the bills because that was his job. And I didn't even know how to pay my mortgage. Trying to sell a house when I've never sold or purchased a home on my own. I had always done that with my husband. Um, go into hiding, move my stuff. Couldn't hire moving a moving company because how can I trust them? They're going to see my new home and where it is. And we know this community is really small. Like, you know, I live in Denver, Colorado. I am not in like a small little tight knit little community. Like this is a really big city. And so, but everyone knows someone everyone knows someone. And when your face is on the news all the time and I couldn't trust anyone, I went into complete hyper, like attentive. I will lock this down. And I think that people kept asking me like, how are you're so strong? It's incredible. I'm not strong. I'm doing what I have to do to protect my kids, protect myself. And I think that every first responder spouse knows what that's like when you have to take care of all the stuff that's coming into your house, you don't have a choice. You have to rise to the occasion. So you may not think that you're strong enough to handle it until it's happening. And then you're handling it because you don't have a choice. You have to do it. And I fell apart. I absolutely fell apart. Uh, people didn't see that, but I, I fell apart. And in the moment and the shock of my husband had been murdered. And then shortly on the heels of that, I had three stalkers. I didn't really have time to sit in it and process. Like I was still trying to process that my husband had been murdered and ambushed. And then I'm trying to process that I had stalkers. So in many ways it was kind of like, okay, it's one more thing to add. Like, let's just move. Let's just go. I didn't really sit in it until after I had moved, gone into hiding, working with FBI, working with the sheriff's office. Unfortunately, there's quite a few law enforcement widows that experience what I do. I don't think it's a high percentage, but it does happen. I know of some law enforcement widows have to move out of the county that their husband worked for because the county is so anti-cop. They have to leave. And I think as a law enforcement family, I just, I guess I was surprised by it. I had always kind of known that this was unfortunately a casualty of the job, that we would be out at the grocery store together as a husband and wife family. And we'd have that code word like, hey, if I tell you this code word, we separate and you go to I'll meet you at the car. 
he must have seen that someone in the store he had arrested did not like it that he arrested him. So he did not want me to be attached to him. He did not want that person to see me. So there's things that law enforcement widows or wives, we just kind of take in our law enforcement spouses that you take in, it becomes a normal routine of knowing that your cop is going to be hyper attentive to making sure doors are locked, windows are locked, garage door is shut. Like they know things in this world that I'm just not super um, aware of as a civilian and I don't really pay attention to, but he gets it. Um, And so I think as a law enforcement widow, it was like, really like this on top of everything else. But at the same time, I was like, dang it, this sucks. Like it really sucks. It really is hard. And I'll be honest, it's years of counseling to process through all of those things. It's not something like you just move, unpack the boxes in a new house and go, okay, I've got an alias name. I mean, I didn't receive mail at my house for two and a half years under my name because I needed to go into like, I truly went into an address protection program within the state that's provided for women that are trying to get out of abusive relationships. It all to protect myself and my girls. Like my five-year-old was trying to learn their address in kindergarten at the time. I'm like, you're not learning your address. I don't want you to know this address. Sorry, birthday invitations don't come here. Christmas presents don't come here. I go pick it up offsite at a different place. It became a new normal for me. And I'll be honest, I had to reestablish trust with the community. But it was a stranger that killed my husband. And it was strangers that were stalking me and wanted me dead. How could I ever trust anyone? I think it's important to go back to what you said about as first responder spouses, we know that it's all on us a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but that's different than what happened to you. There's a big difference between us having to shoulder the burden of being the default parent and taking care of business at home, knowing that eventually our firefighters will come home yeah. Versus your police officer no longer can come home. He, he was robbed of the ability to do that. Your family was robbed yeah. of a life together by a complete stranger because yeah. of the work that he chose to do for your community. And so I feel like it's really important to have a distinct difference between those two things because it's not the same. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. It really put into perspective for me those times that I would kind of grumble and complain. Like as a widow, I was reflecting back on being married to a first responder and grumbling and complaining that he wasn't there on Christmas Eve. He was at shift or he wasn't there on New Year's Eve. He was at shift or he missed a dance recital because he was on shift. And I suddenly became also aware of like, gosh, I take that back in a heartbeat. I would take it back in a heartbeat because now I know the other side of this. Like he's not coming home. There's no one I can call to be like, can you please come home? It's hitting the fan. I need help. I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't ask his advice on how to raise our kids or what I should do or what, how I, where I should I take the car for the situation. And it, it gave me a lot of perspective. So I think you're right. There is a distinct difference in, in my life of what I experienced of like shouldering the weight of being a solo parent at home while he was at work and then what it was like to be a widow. And it was all on me. There was no other person to help. Uh, I never thought that would be my reality ever. Nobody ever thinks that that's going to be their reality. Nobody Mm -mm. wants to take a good hard look of the reality of their their spouse's job and realize there will come a day possibly Mm -hmm. when they will not come home from a call. Yeah. And that's a possibility. I mean, I think it's a higher possibility for police officers than it is for firefighters. But we're reminded of that 
fact all too often mm-hmm. in EMS and it's sobering. Yeah. It definitely it gave is, me the perspective of like it's, what I wish I would have done differently as a first responder wife, knowing what I had walked through. And I have the privilege now to live it different. I'm not perfect, but now as a fire wife, and if I like, there are very distinct differences between fire wife and a law enforcement wife. It is very different. It is a different culture. It is a different experience. And I am not trying to put one above the other. It is just different. It is yep. very different. Definitely. We say that a lot, actually. Like, uh, we kind of get some pushback a lot of the times from people just because we, Audra and I feel the exact same way. Like, we know that there are very distinct differences between police officers' wives and firefighters' wives. And there is a different danger that they face every mm-hmm. single day. Even so, just the contrast from an LODD, right? Yeah. Like a firefighter, this is going to be shitty to say, but this is just when a firefighter dies, the spouse and the family is held in this, you know, kind of on this pedestal mm-hmm. during the process. I've never heard, and maybe this is just me being delusional, I've never heard of a fire spouse having to go into hiding mm-hmm. because their life is being threatened after their spouse dies i feel like that might be you being delusional the publicity that happens around firefighters yes is it is staggering Mm -hmm. too much and a lot of times our widows do have to take a step back and get away Mm -hmm. from the public eye and and while that's much different yeah it's a much different thing i think they do to some degree have to hide for the public for for some time we agree with you that it's two completely different cultures. It's so different. I mean, there are so many things I can list out of the differences between the two. And like the top one for me was that when Zach went to work and he was on shift, I did not contact him by any means, text or call, unless it was 911 emergency. It could not be like, hey, what do you want to do for tomorrow? Or my parents are asking if we could go to dinner with them. Because any buzz on his phone was a distraction from him being an ultrasonic protects my life mode. He needed to be on. Now he was working for a 10 hour shift and then he'd come home. He was working great. So he'd sleep all day. And I really wasn't like up in the middle of the night contacting him. Now being married to a firefighter, He's gone for 48 hours, but I can contact him. I could go visit him. I can go give him a hug. I can go hang out at the station with him. I can text him and he may be on a call and may not be able to get back to me right away. But I have the freedom to be more connected to him and more involved in the station and the firehouse where I'm law enforcement. There was very little connection to his job or like his crew. There was no crew that he was with. It's a very solo job in their car. So this is just very stark contrast to me. And I'll be honest, I walked into being a fire wife. I didn't know if I could contact Brett the first time that like he went to the station and we were married. Like, can I contact you? Is this allowed? Am I going to distract you? I had to like retrain my brain that I actually could just go drive and go see him if I wanted to. I could take the kids and we could go visit him and like hang out and wait for him to come back for a call. And I think that it has been the sweetest gift for me to be a firewife and to be a first responder wife. I realized that there was something about the first responder life that just like drew me back. 
I love being a firewife. I love being a first responder wife. And it's ultimately what shattered my world. But at the same time, it's rebuilding it. I now am able to see my husband adopt my two girls and treat them as his own. And he keeps their dad's memory alive. He's not a cop, but he keeps it alive. And we'll go to stations and visit him if he's roving. And they'll have my late husband's name on the wall because they responded to the call. And so they've got his name on the wall or a flag in remembrance of him. And I'm able to say, wow, we are visiting your new dad while he's at work and he is honoring your late dad too. It's just this really cool way that my story has worked out where my girls are fully now saturated and immersed in law enforcement and fire. And the overlap in the community is so strong. Their story will never be forgotten. Their loss is not in vain. And it's crazy how the world works in that way. It is crazy. You started the Shelter Foundation after your husband passed away. Yep. I started the Shelter Foundation and some people thought that I was doing it like out of remembrance of Zach. No, it, it really wasn't. I had never intended to start a nonprofit. I didn't have these dreams prior to him passing. Him and I did not talk about this. This truly was after he passed. I started it. Um, the Shelter Foundation, because I really saw the need for building community within law enforcement. First responders, yes, but in law enforcement specifically, I was a cop wife that I had no other cop wives that could say me too. I get it. This is really hard. And so I thought I'm going to build this. And I started a Bible study. And within a year, I had 125 women that were coming from all over the Denver area to come and be a part of this Bible study. And we're a faith-based organization. Faith is a strong part of my life. And faith is how I was able to live through my husband's death. So I continued to do Bible studies for first responders. COVID shut us down. And it was in 2020 that I met Brett, my husband. And so upon getting married, I was like, I need a sabbatical. I need a year to just breathe for a minute because I've buried a husband, gone through COVID. I've been a widow. I've had three stalkers. Now I'm remarried. I'm becoming a firewife. I need a moment to just take a step back. I need to pause. I have been running at mock speed and my cortisol levels are so high and I need to just relax. And so I took the whole first year of our marriage and I basically put the foundation on pause and we did not do anything with the foundation for one year. Um, and that was from May of 21 till May of 22. And that was year for me of giving me a lot of clarity as to where we we're going to move forward with the foundation. And so I really came out of that year with a renewed passion for the marriages of first responders. I had been caring for the wives of law enforcement and the wives of first responders, but I realized that now I have a family of six. I have two stepchildren and I've got four kids all under the age of at the time seven that had experienced pain and I needed to be really present at home. And God had obviously called me to be a cop wife and now a fire wife. And I could speak to both aspects of what it's like to be married to a first responder. And that money is tight as a first responder family. You do not have a ton of money. It's like, let's go on this marriage retreat and let's go to marriage counseling. And what would it look like if a nonprofit, a foundation could give couples free marriage counseling through their counselor of choice and could say, yeah, we'll pay for you to go to this marriage retreat to invest in like no strings attached. You just go and you pour into your marriage. And so that is what I have done. And I have now had first responders from all over the country, from New York to California, Wisconsin, down to Florida. I've had couples reaching out, looking to save their marriages, or some of them just first responders going, I've got a lot of PTSD and I need a lot of help. 
And so we pay for them to go to get some counseling. And we've seen really cool stories come out of it of couples that their marriages are saved or these first responders feel like their burden is lighter. And that's just my way of giving back to the community and giving back to these first responders because I've personally experienced the pain and watching cops carry the weight of what they see. And it's different in fire, but it's there. And so just really wanting to be an advocate because I've been a wife at home going, I don't know how to do this and this is not going well. And I don't know what to do. And we don't have the money to pay for counseling or retreat, but something needs to change. And you mentioned that in the beginning, you said it would have been helpful for you and your late husband um, to have gone through some kind of counseling or to learn more about it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We would have been so much better off. Had we yeah. gone to counseling or done marriage retreat, something, something to just help us figure out how to communicate in this new season of first responder world. Cause it, it rocked us. It rocked our marriage. Well, that's a big change when you go from being a banker to a police officer. <laughs> yeah. A ton. When there was no cat, like he went through the academy, but I didn't have an academy. There was no academy for me to figure out like, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's the nail on the head right there. That's the that's the dead horse that we beat on a regular basis. And yeah. and it's actually one of our most frequently asked questions. Where's the academy for the wife? Yes. Or the spouse yes. at home. And how great would it be if when your partner was going through academy, you were being taught about what to expect, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, it would have absolutely radically changed my first year of being a cop wife because I was thrown, truly thrown into the fire and I did not know anything of what to expect. And it wasn't easy. It was so hard. He was, he was coming off of these terrible calls, absolutely terrible calls and coming home to me with two kids, like right toddler, young baby, newborn. I'm handling all this stuff. I'm exhausted. I'm sleep deprived. I need help. But he's come off of this massive call and we're trying to now communicate between these things, but he's got, so much stuff that he's dealing with, but I have no idea because he hasn't told me, he doesn't want to tell me for fear of bringing trauma upon me that's unnecessary, but there's no one he's debriefing with. So then it's coming out in anger, alcohol, frustration, nightmares, irritability, yelling. And I'm like, what the heck? Who are you? You're not allowed to come in here and treat me this. There was absolutely things that I didn't realize, unfortunately, until after he had passed. And I was talking with his friends that were partners with him working these shifts where I'm reflecting on my marriage to Zach and like whenever we would get in an argument, whenever I would be like, you need to calm down. That just seemed like it would make the roof fly off. Like he would get pissed. And his friend looked at me and he went, well, that's because that's what Zach would say to the suspects he was arresting. You need to calm down. It's a trigger word. He felt like in that moment, you were treating him like he was a suspect. Why didn't someone tell me this? I would have known that Zach couldn't communicate that. I don't think that he had the self-reflection to communicate that to me of like, when you say this, this is how I feel so that I could know that this world he was living in, I had no context to it. I could not relate to it one bit. So when he was coming in, we were completely missing each other a hundred percent. And that's where I think for us, marriage counseling, a marriage retreat that would have really helped us to communicate better would have done us a lot of good. Hindsight is twenty twenty, So I think we did the best we could in that moment, but we could have done a ton better. We could have done a lot better. No, I mean, 
like Chelsea said, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, can you can you give us a manual, please, so that we know what to do? More than one page in um, the Firefighter Academy uh, book would be really helpful to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than one page in the Firefighter Academy book? Like, you literally got a page, Audra? Yeah, they get a page. Oh. Yeah, I got a pep talk. So. Oh, I got the pep talk too. Remember, uh, I got the chief calling me and telling me or asking me if I could handle it. I, I got the pep talk that said that uh, my husband should take vacation because family time is important. That was the pep talk. <laughs> mm. And then we know how that worked out for him. <laughs> okay. Okay. So tell us about your firefighter. How, I mean, you've talked about it a little bit already, but you have been previously married to a police officer he sounds like he's been really embracing your family and your struggle. And how is it being married now? Hmm. For me, that's like a loaded question because I, I knew I wanted to remarry. I was 29 years old when Zach died. I didn't know when it would happen. I knew it would have to be really someone really special. So want to walk into my story, especially just with the publicity of it in our community and neighborhood. Two and a half years later, I would still be recognized at the grocery store. People coming up to me and telling me where they were at when they found out that my husband had been killed or they had lived in the apartment complex that my husband was killed when it happened. Or, and I just didn't know what kind of man would want to walk into my life and take care of two girls, but also know that they're walking into like more of a public story. And I swore I didn't want to marry a first responder. That is not what I wanted to do. Um, even a few years after Zach had died, I just didn't want to. I kind of had my idea of what I wanted, who I wanted to marry. I wanted a safe job. I wanted nine to five. I wanted the complete opposite of what I had kind of lived through as a first responder. And in God's timing, I had the opportunity to go on a date with someone who kind of fit the mold of what I was looking for. And after one date, I thought, I can't do this. Like, I just can't, I can't do this. There was a part of me that realized that I needed to lay it all down and be open to whatever was going to come my way. And so that's when a friend of mine introduced me to Brett and he's divorced with two kids and his kids are the almost the exact same ages as my kids. And so we basically have two sets of twins in many ways. So I wasn't just becoming a firewife, I was becoming a stepmom and I would have four kids in my home, but it has been so sweet. And I think I've been able to really take all the things that I would think on as a widow and as a single mom, solo parenting, all of it of like, gosh, I would have done this different, or I wish I could have had this perspective, right? Wish I could have done this different. Now I was actually able to live it. And I'll never forget the after we got married and back from our honeymoon and I'm, he's out shift and I'm doing laundry and it just, what used to be feel like such a burden to like do all the laundry for like our family of four, like two kids and Zach, suddenly I was now doing laundry for a family of six. And I just remember feeling so grateful that I had a husband I could wash his clothes. I'm not trying to sound like this, like, like, oh, woe is me. Like, this is so emotional. But in that moment, a reality that I didn't know if I would ever have again, it was there. Someone to sit with, someone to make decisions with, someone to help me. And anyway, to sit on the couch and have a cup of coffee with, to watch a movie with, to go to a family barbecue with, just all of the things that I finally had that. And so it's been really sweet. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy to blend a family. It's not easy to ask him to step in and raise two girls that it were without a dad for three and a half years and step into that. Caroline and Evie are my girls and they didn't know what a dad looked like. They, they didn't have any memories of like, what does a dad do? And so the first time that he was, Brett was mowing the lawn or taking out the trash and they're like, what is he doing? This is what it's like. This is marriage. You work together and you take on different roles and you help one another. And so I was like teaching them what it looks like to have support 
as a wife. I, it, there's a lot of complexities to our story, so it's not easy, but I'm so grateful for it because I know what it's like to do life alone and I don't want to do life alone. I really don't. Um, he's been wonderful about stepping into my story with all of it and especially as a first responder with friends that he knows that were on the call and that attended the funeral. And he's been so great, just like doesn't miss a beat and super confident. And my girls call him dad and they love him. They absolutely love him. Like my dad's a firefighter and they're so proud of him. It's been cool. It's been redeeming, but it has not always been easy. It takes a unique person to marry a widow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's off to him for stepping up. Yeah. And your perspective is just so, so cool. You've overcome so much and I just, I'm speechless. I don't, it's just crazy. <laughs> I, I'm, I mess up a lot and there are things that I still am like, dang it. This is one of those things I said I would never do because I did it with Zach. It's one of the things I messed up in my marriage with Zach that I then was a widow was like, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm not going to make a big deal out of those things. And then one and a half years into marriage and I'm doing the exact same thing that I did. And so, I mean, it's not easy. And there's things that like I'm human and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to do things wrong. And I think it's, it's humbling. And it's also just, I'm doing the best I got with it. And I, I don't always handle it easy. Like there are times that he comes home from work and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be full of grace and like super communicative patient with you right now, but I'm just like, done. I'm done. And I need help. Help me. Please help me and step in and do this. Like I need to break. I need to step away from this right now. I, I have a similar experience this week. Like I just came to the end of myself as a yeah. parent and as a spouse of a firefighter. So I, Audra and I know all too well the struggle of trying to be the supportive wife, the here for everyone mother, and mm -hmm. also trying to take care of ourselves. And on top of that, you have the unique experience of also being a widow and having to manage basically two lives. Like you you have your present life, but you also want to honor your late husband. And I, I can't even imagine on top of all of the other things that I'm having to do now, having to also do that. Just can't even imagine it. So I think you get a little bit of grace for coming outside of yourself. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. you get more grace yeah. than I do. And no, so. no it's, it's become this, like, I think I've just learned how to carry both at the same time. And I've learned a lot about communicating it more than I would have before and being able to share. Um, I remember being married to Brett for just a handful of months and Brett's like, oh, I know this cool stream hike we can take the kids to. It'd be super fun, but it's close. We live in Colorado. So that's something we really love to do in the summer. I'm like, yeah, awesome. So we go and we show up and it's this last place that Zach and I took family photos at with our kids before he died, like two and a half months before he died. I'm like, oh, dang. Like I'm flooded right now. I'm flooded in these memories. I haven't been back to here since, but I'm like seeing the exact place where we took those last photos. Like this was a photo all over the news when they were publicizing his death and I had to get really good at communicating. And at first it was hard and janky. In the first year of marriage, it was like, whoa, I'm fully flooded in these feelings because I haven't thought about it or done it. Now it's gotten a little bit easier where I can be like, yes, that bumper sticker reminds me of this story or this reminds me of this. And sometimes just holding it in and sometimes letting it out, knowing the discernment, 
because I have to remember that Brett is human and I absolutely adore him and love him. And I'm so grateful for him, but there are some memories, some things that do not need to be shared in that way. But I need to take into consideration like his heart that to me, he is so strong and so tough and just comes in as this protector and provider for my family and my girls. But he's so human too. And to just remember like, okay, if roles are reversed, would I want to hear this story? Would I want to be part of that? And it takes a lot of navigating, but I think I've learned how to also communicate in the sense of um, like, he's off shift, he's home. It's been six to seven hours. He's seeming to be off. Like, hey, are you doing okay? How many calls did you get last night? Did you, were you up a lot last night? Like to ask a little bit more questions versus just expecting it. Um, when I was married to Zach of just kind of like, nope, you're home. We're doing this life. You need to run with me in this more like grace and understanding. And even asking like, does it annoy you when I ask you every, when you come home, like how many times, how many calls, what was it like? Like, do you want to talk about it? Do you not? Like, no offense. I just want to know, like, what can I ask? What can I not ask? Like, do you feel seen when I ask you these questions or does it annoy you? And does it bring up all these memories? We call that curious and compassionate. Yeah. Compassionate curiosity never killed a cat. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. It's just really trying to navigate, like, how does this look? And sometimes I was listening to one of the um, episodes that you guys shared about, like, that transition from shift to home and how that is a funky transition. And I don't know if there's even, like, one perfectly right way to do it every single time it's not talked about and it's not something that's really discussed that like this is weird and normal at the same time and you're not alone in it and it just requires so much grace and so much understanding and compassion and i have tried to find small pieces of joy in my day that i can hold on to that give me uh, for lack of better word self-care to take care of myself because if i'm not taking care of myself and putting oxygen mask on myself first I don't have the capacity to pour out to my husband and my kids and all of their struggles and the intricacies of their trauma that I'm walking with them through. I had someone tell me an analogy once that a lot of people see the cup as half empty or half full, but a mother's cup should be overflowing Hmm. because it should always be half full and you should be pouring into it constantly. So that you're able to pour it out to your children and your spouse. And I felt like that was a really poignant reminder, especially as a first responder spouse and mother of three children, that I do have to take care of myself first, Mm -hmm. right? The oxygen mask thing is great too, but I don't think it really talks about how our joy should overflow into our children and our our spouses. Yeah. It needs to become a part of your daily habits and your daily rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be something that's done out of like, I can't breathe anymore. I need something. I need, I need like a quick fix. It needs to be something that's so much of your daily pattern that you're able to just pour out of. And I also, I realized, but I realized it too late that I needed to have my own life outside of being a first responder life. And I needed to have my own life out of being a mom. I needed to have my own hobbies, my own interests, my own passions, my own friends. That brought me a lot of joy into my life. And it was actually extremely attractive to my husband when I had my own stuff going on. And I wasn't just sitting at home like, what can I do? How can I serve you? I'm going to take care of the kids. I'm going to run here. I'm going to run there. That I had my stuff, my things that I was doing. Yes, absolutely. We need to have our own lives outside of the fire service. (laughs) 
Out of any first responder service. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And outside of our kids' extracurricular activities. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is the point in the show where we like to put you on the hot seat and ask you all the questions hey. so that our listeners get to know you on a more personal level. So are you ready? Ready. Tell us about your best ever Halloween costume. Best ever Halloween costume would probably be when I was like eight years old and I had a homemade Belle from Beauty and the Beast costume. And I loved Beauty from Beauty and the Beast. So, or Belle from Beauty and the Beast. So it was like all gold. I loved it. I felt incredible. And I will never, I actually still have it. My mom gave it to me because I loved it so much. So I have it in a box, which I'm never going to obviously fit in it. But that was my best Halloween costume but you have girls that would fit in it exactly exactly so I'm hopeful that one of them is going to want to be Belle one year I love that princess dress yes one of my favorite Disney princess dresses Mm -hmm. yes okay so you're a Disney fan obviously what about Taylor Swift are you a Swifty I cannot proclaim to be a Swifty I have not been to the Eras tour However, I've heard she's incredible. I've heard it tops all things. If I had the opportunity to go, I would 100% go. I just, I didn't have an opportunity to go. And so, but I would love to, I do, my girls love her music. We listen to her music. I've heard the show was incredible. I've heard it's hands down best performance ever. Okay. I love so a you good girls, concert. So you girls like her, you listen to her music all the time. You qualify so as a, be a Swifty, yeah, right? I okay. Say, so totally. Yeah. So we're a Swifty that has not been to the Eras tour. <laughs> Yes, there's a lot of Swifties in your shoes. Yeah. Audra and I just got really uber lucky, okay? I'm lucky to have Audra because I got my tickets from her. <laughs> we were just really lucky that Ticketmaster granted us access that day. Oh, okay. yeah. That is awesome. Okay. If you could choose one Kelsey brother to meet, which would you choose, Jason or Travis? Mm. Travis. Yes. We love us and Travis Kelsey. Sorry. I mean, we're two for two on this question. Jason's cool and all, but Travis has all the personality and all the swagger. (laughs) Jason's so cute though. His family's adorable. Oh, Jason's adorable. But I, I mean, I feel like I've met so many Jasons in my life. Like, yeah. We need a little bit more, uh, we need a Travis. Yeah. We need a Travis. That and if we got to meet Travis, we might get to meet Taylor Swift. There you go. See, I mean, <laughs> does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, I think I like pineapple on pizza, but I like a lot of pizza. So I don't, I'm not going to say that it's over all other pizza, but I do like pineapple on pizza. Okay, last question. Uh, other than our podcast, what was the last podcast you listened to? It was a podcast by Jenny Allen. She's a teach, Bible teacher, and I loved listening to her teaching that she did. But actually, those are the last two podcasts I listened to, yours and hers. Awesome. I love that. A little All bit right. of first responder, a little bit of Jesus. That's about how I roll. Okay, Gracie, thank you so much for being with us today. If you are in the Denver area and you want to know more about the Shelter Foundation, follow their Instagram at the Shelter Foundation or their website, theshelterfoundation.org. We loved hearing your story. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tune in weekly for the 25,000 foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 